This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Welcome everybody to Brojo Online podcast and I'm thrilled to have yet another guest on the show. We're going to be looking at probably bullying, we're going to be looking at depression, we're going to be looking at some stuff that I know a lot of you listening have dealt with or are currently dealing with or are worried is going to come up for you in the future, um, but nobody really talks about it very much, so we're going to talk about it. So I'd like to introduce Melissa Wilson. She is a life coach. I think we met through Entheos or something. I've forgotten how exactly we came into contact. Um, no, actually it was through uh, Jesse Krieger and one That's of his events. That's right, Jesse Krieger, uh, Lifestyle Entrepreneur Press, he's my book publisher, and we met actually in the States, didn't we, at one of his events? We did, in LA, yep, two or three years ago now. Wow, that flies by, my amnesia's slowly wearing off now. Um, So Melissa is a life coach, and she also runs a podcast um, called The Grass is Greener, is that right? The Grass Gets Greener. The Grass Gets Greener, yeah, Um, which has got... uh, I'll, I'll include a link somewhere in the notes for this call because there's some really interesting conversations on that that you guys need to listen to. Melissa, let's kind of start with where you're at now. You know, tell us a little bit about your coaching and about the podcast. Sure, yeah. Um, well, the coaching is, is more of a new thing. Um, the podcast I've been doing for about three and a half years now. Um, I started that. Uh, like six months after I started my blog back in 2014, and I just wanted to um, take things from me just kind of blogging about my story and what I had been through and expand that to sharing the stories of other people and what they've gone through and, and what's helped them, you know, to get to a better place today. And so so the, the Grass Gets Greener podcast is about talking with other survivors who have, you know, overcome traumatic experiences to to go on um, to live a a good life and and talking about just what has helped them um, so that others can know that they're not alone in what they're going through and so that they can just have you know some some hope for their own situations that things can get better Um, so I've been doing that you know and then um, the end of last year I started to get into the coaching a little bit and recently just um, got my certification for that and so now I'm offering that now to my audience as well as another way that I can help to support them. Yeah, the, the this is what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, what I love is that focus you have for your work on, I guess, the survivor aspect. And it's not even just surviving, is it? It's kind of getting through, as you sort of say, to this other side of traumatic experience. Yeah, where you're kind of thriving. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's... Uh, you know, I, I sort of in my own work and, and, of course, in the communities that you and I both get involved in, I see there's kind of that three states. There's somebody who's not handling it all. There's a person who's surviving. They're getting by. They're kind of functioning as best they can while this burden weighs them down. And then there's a person who somehow got through it. They're different on the other side, uh, but they've actually allowed this experience to somehow actually give them strength. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the mystery for the first two people, is how do you become that third person? And, and I love your focus on that. Tell us a bit more exactly what 
kind of survivors are we talking about here? Who are the people that you like to talk to for your podcast and work with for coaching and support? Yeah, so I mean, you know, it initially started out just focusing exclusively on like bullying survivors, um, as that ha- um, is kind of my background. Um, I experienced bullying while I was in middle school, um, and I experienced a little bit of uh, you know physical and, and verbal abuse at home as well. Um, and then, you know, as I started to speak with different types of survivors on the podcast, um, you know, I, I come to realize that we're all really affected in very similar ways, and so. You know, I'm, I'm very open to speaking with and to helping survivors of different types of traumatic childhood experiences and abuse. What really, you know, upsets me is when people, children, you know, go through something growing up that they have no control over, something that happens to them, um, and it ends up, you know, affecting them very deeply and holding them back in life and keeping them from really being, you know, who they could truly be and having this fulfilling life. So that's where, you know, that, that's where my heart lies and what I have a passion for and people that I have a passion for helping. I love that so much. I mean, I've got this theory that the most rewarding work you can do is to help people solve the problem that you hate the most. You know, and there's, <laughs> there's kind of, there's nothing more sort of thrilling. It's almost like you feel like you've been built for it. It's so cool. And it's, it's just so, uh, I guess I'm biased, but it's just so noble to do that kind of work. These are it's amazing how much pain people go through with abuse and bullying and trauma, and yet how few resources are dedicated to helping these people. You know, there's more resources mm-hmm. that go into to war and, and all sorts of terrible things like that than go into helping people who carry this absolutely painful weight around with them all the time. I was just going to say, I mean, well, you mentioned, you know, war there, which makes me think of PTSD. And I think, you know, in that case, there are a lot more resources for um, for veterans, you know, who are dealing with PTSD than there are for survivors who are suffering from it as well. But I think, you know, we are, the more that we're talking about this and bringing awareness to it, you know, the more resources that are becoming available out there, which is great. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the greatest resources is the survivors and thrivers themselves. You know, you can see this in drug addiction yeah. therapy as well. The most successful rehab centers are the ones that are comprised entirely of what I'd call ex-addicts, you know, that you can't bullshit. You know, they know, and you know they know, so you'll actually listen to them, and I think that's so important. You know, somebody who's never been traumatized or or has PTSD or is has a history of bullying, it's hard to take advice from someone like that about how to deal with it, or how it's hard to listen to someone like that say it's going to be okay because they just don't know, and you do. Which brings me to the, you know, this is what I love in, in my podcast, is getting personal. And obviously you can only you can only have to go as far as you want to here, but tell us a little bit about your backstory when it comes to bullying, abuse, and, and trauma. Yeah, so I mean, as I mentioned, um, I was bullied in middle school, and you know, this went on every day for two years. Um, and it was... It was, you know, it was really difficult. Um, you know, it was a lot of um, just things that were being said, um, some physical bullying. You know, it, it was it was challenging. I mean, I had I was I went into this uh, school as you know kind of the outsider, and which I think is you know kind of why I was targeted. And I really I had you know like the, the whole class um, just kind of partaking in the bullying. 
and I just felt really alone and I had no one to turn to, um, not even, you know, the teachers. Um, and it just, it just, it wore on me, you know, when you, you hear things, when you have things, you know, done to you day in and day out and you're not able to confide in anyone about it. I just, I didn't, you know, when I would go home each day, I, I never felt comfortable speaking about it uh, with my parents because it became something that I was ashamed of. You know, I felt like, oh, well, I must be doing something to cause them to do this to me. And so, you know, I, I don't want to bring attention to that. And so I just, I kept it all to myself. And that, that really, was really harmful for me. I ended up, you know, just internalizing it all. And it really, you know, it affected my self-esteem. Um, I really I had no confidence left after this. Um, it was hard for me to trust others. I just put up these walls and shut everyone out. And yeah, really, it's just, it was something that was just terribly damaging. And I think, you know, and being that age, you know, like 11, 12 years old, I mean, you're still trying to figure out who you are to have, to go through an experience like this. Um, it's almost like, you know, that ends up dictating who you become and you kind of, you have no say in the matter. It takes a long time to kind of, to undo what's been done at that age, to find, you know, to figure out who you are, find your way back to you, to get your confidence back, to feel good about yourself again. Yeah, it was just, it's, it's one of those things, you know, it has the potential um, for anyone who's bullied, you know, to just to to stick and to last well into adulthood and to continue to affect you. And sometimes even in ways that you don't realize, you know, something uh, might trigger you and, and, and you realize it's from, you know, this thing that happened to you 20 years ago, um, but it just has that potential to be that, that damaging. I think a lot of people there, you know, a lot of people, if you ask them what their greatest fear is, they'll say public speaking. There's a lot of surveys and stuff that talk about that. And I've always thought as public speaking, the fear there is really, being rejected by a massive group of people all at once, being kind of rejected by everybody. That's the potential of public speaking. And most people are afraid of that, but it never comes true for them. And they'll say things like, just be yourself no matter what anyone else thinks. I'm even, I say stuff like that. But they've never had to experience what it's like when everybody doesn't like you. Where everybody in your whole world, you're literally not, not unnoticed, which is bad enough. But you're noticed and it's negative. I mean, what kind of mm -hmm. stories went through your head about who you were and everything when all the feedback you were getting from other people was negative? I just felt like, you know, I wasn't good enough. I was broken. Something was, <clears throat> excuse me, something was wrong with me. Just fundamental things about me. You know, I just felt like I wasn't deserving of having friends. It's crazy things, you know, just things that affect your your self-worth so deeply and leave you thinking that you know like what what are what are you here for what are you doing you know like you're just kind of wasting space you know it's just terrible things that really make you feel like crap about yourself yeah i mean these kind of thoughts are like i mean most teenagers will have them occasionally but without any evidence you know that might support it but to have what appears to be evidence that these things are true would just be so devastating. I often think about how bullying at that, at that age and younger 
is so devastating because the development of the brain basically means at that stage you still think everything's about you everything is caused by you and so of course if everyone's against you you'll think it must be me causing this and mm-hmm. yeah you know, I, I mean i just see a majority of people um, who had traumatic events at a young age they still they still have that as adults they still think any bad things that happen around them are caused by them and it continues it's kind of like a i mean that's what trauma is isn't it it's like a pause in your life that you never quite move mm-hmm. on from I'm interested yeah, in... and the younger that it happens, I think, you know, the more, the more it affects you too. The more, it, the more it's your truth, you know, you don't know anything else. Absolutely. No resilience. And like you say, you didn't know who you were yet. So that was kind of a blank space and it's very vulnerable. It's kind of like uh, mm-hmm. being a crab without a shell, you know, anyone can get you in that space. There's, there's no counter evidence to mm-hmm. what they're telling you. There's a couple right. of things. Um, that you said that I want to go into a bit deeper and this may actually draw on also the people you've spoken to and worked with who have similar backgrounds and and struggles uh, one was I'm really keen to hear like a bit more about how it started one thing I'm really interested in is why do some people get bullied and some don't because it's so clearly not about how valuable a person is I've seen some truly amazing people get bullied um, and, and I can't make sense of it. So that's one of the things. And the other one was, oh, it was three things. That, how it was allowed to continue for two years with you being unsupported, uh, with no one kind of stepping in for you. I want to I hear your insights as to how something like that could occur. Because I know that happens for a lot of people and they wonder why. And then three, I think we'll talk in a bit about the long-term effects. So let's start with a little bit about your perspective both your story and the ones you've heard on how this bullying gets started. How does a person get picked out of the crowd for punishment? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I think in my case, you know, a big part of it was I was kind of an easy target. You know, I was the outsider. Um, and so I think, you know, that was that was mainly the reason for why I was bullied. And then I think, I think you know, for me, the bullying continued um, because – you know, I wasn't standing up for myself. I wasn't fighting back. I was kind of letting it happen. Part of that is because, you know, I was just feeling kind of beat down, feeling defeated. And yeah, you know, without having that support, it's really hard to be able to stand up for yourself when you know it's like you alone against, you know, everyone else. And I think, you know, a lot of times, too, though, I mean, the bullying happens. Um, you're right. It's not, it's not the fault of the person who's being bullied. It's really important for anyone who's being bullied to realize that because thinking that, you know, is, is damaged, so damaging in and of itself. But oftentimes, you know, it's what's going on for the other person. You know, it's insecurities that they have. It's hurts that they have that are just coming out, you know, and being projected onto whoever is kind of, you know, the easiest target to project them onto. I did a, um, a virtual summit on, on bullying a few years back, and I spoke with someone on this topic exactly, of, you know, why do people bully? And I mean, that's one of the main reasons, you know, just because it's something that's going on for them and it's not being addressed, you know, bullying in the schools is not being, if it's, you know, being allowed to happen or those who are doing the bullying, you know, they're not, they're not getting the support that they need. You know, authorities are not looking at what is, the root cause for them, what's going on in their lives, you know, rather than just looking at it as something 
to be punished or a problem that needs to be solved. You know, it's, it's more about looking at why are they doing it in the first place? You know, maybe what's going on in their homes or who's hurting them, you know, that's causing them to react in this way. That absolutely lines up with all of my experience working with criminal offenders who were basically adult bullies or the what bullies turn right. into when they grow up completely, you know, unrepentant or, or without any support. Very few bullies come from a great, happy, healthy home. You know, they're usually just passing mm-hmm. on the treatment from their parents or their family or whatever. It's, it's quite tragic to look at the whole scenario because you look at it and you just go, wow, no one's winning in this this game. Everybody's in yeah. pain and passing it on, inflicting it. And, and the bullying victim is kind of the last in the chain. They're the one who catches the end, you know, and the worst of it. So it's interesting, you know, like you say, the outsider, I've heard that story come up a lot. That's kind of if you're new to the school or you're a different skin color or you're a bit shorter or you've got a funny accent or you're a bit autistic, there's something that gives you a defining characteristic from the in-group. And that can mm-hmm. be all it takes. That can be all yep. it takes for, you know, the, the alpha wolf of the bully pack to go that one. And once they've chosen, what's interesting, I think, is you've identified there's a kind of, there's a key critical moment on whether or not the victim stands up right at the beginning. And of course, most 11-year-olds don't have that kind of spine, you know. I mean, who's going to stand up to a bully when you're a kid? And so most Mm -hmm. of them, of course, their initial reaction encourages further bullying and then it's kind of all over. I mean, what I think what really stands out to me, the tragedy of your story, is that you you seemed, it, it seems to me like you really felt like there was no reason to go for support or that it would be even painful for you to try and get support with this. I mean, how does that line up with other stories that you've heard? What is this kind of unsupported victim thing that we keep saying? Um, you know, I've heard that show up in the stories of a lot of people that I've interviewed on my podcast, you know, have come from different types of, of experiences growing up. It's important to have that support um, because when you don't have it, whatever you're going through, it, yeah, it tends to continue. It makes it easier to continue. The support is so important, so crucial. And if you, if you don't feel like you have it, if you're not supported, then, you know, it's, it's really challenging to put a, a stop to it um, because you're, you find yourself all alone and you're going up against someone who you, you know, perceive as more powerful than you or, you know, sometimes sexual abuse survivors, you know, you have adults, you know, who are doing this to you. If, if you're alone, it's, it's really difficult. Oh, it'd be impossible with a child's brain, you know, it just, it would be a try and get by day by day kind of mentality. That would be the best you could probably come up with. I'm keen to hear, we'll go into the longer term effects in a bit. I'm also keen to hear what you've noticed in terms of themes from people that you've interviewed about the effects of bullying at a younger age. You know, what, what, what's it like to be a bullying victim in general? What have you noticed come up time and again? Yeah, I think, you know, just very similar to, to ways that I've been affected. Your, your self-esteem really gets hit and you lack that confidence. Um, you have a hard time trusting others. Uh, you tend to, you know, isolate yourself. Become a people pleaser. That was a big one for me. 
and you know you just you deal with a lot of shame and have a hard time just liking yourself which makes it difficult for you to be able to go on and achieve things and have a good life because you don't feel deserving of it you, know, you don't feel like you're worthy you don't feel like you're good enough um, so it really just it impacts you in so many ways well shame's a, a huge topic that comes up for me and my work and my life and all the people I speak to this kind of I'm not right as a person like my who I am is less than than others and I mean how you're supposed to put yourself out there and confront and assert and be bold and honest with that belief right at the core uh, it seems on the surface to be an impossible problem to solve and and I know it's not, but I also know it's an incredibly difficult problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk a little bit about PTSD or variants of that, this kind of trauma. What do you see in the adult survivors of bullying that makes it so hard for them to move on? I think, you know, what makes it so hard is, like we were saying, just that feeling of not being good enough um, and feeling like, you know, what you experienced was your fault. Um, But also just, you know, in in regard to PTSD, I mean, just continuing to kind of be triggered by your experience, kind of be re-traumatized or even re-victimized later on in life. And if you continue, you know, sort of being in the state that you were in when you were in that bullying situation um, and not, you know, figuring out how to stand up for yourself, um, and to be more assertive, then it, you know, it, it becomes more likely that you're going to become a target again later on. And so I think, you know, in, in that situation, it, it, it makes it hard um, to be able to move forward because you're kind of, you're still stuck kind of in that child mentality, if you will, or stuck at that, that age that you were when it happened. So until you're able to to process that stuff and work through it, it's, it's, you know, you're not, unfortunately, you know, it doesn't set you up for success in life. It really it puts you at a disadvantage. Um, and that's why I say like, you know, it really, it upsets me when people are still held back by that, you know, because it, they went through something that wasn't their fault and now they're stuck and they're struggling to get past it. And they, you know, they, they deserve to get past it. It's sad when I see that. And, um, And I think that that's just one of the biggest things, you know, it's just, it's still, it's being stuck and it's continuing to, to to be triggered by what you went through and not being able to move forward as a result of that. Yeah. My, uh, my buddy, Mike, who works in Brojo with me, he's got this kind of metaphor around waterfalls. Uh, You know, if you fall off a waterfall and you go under the waterfall, the, the water keeps you, like, at the bottom, bashing against the rocks kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't get out. You're just smashing against it. You can't get to the surface. And there's mm-hmm. this trick to it. You've actually got to swim down to get out rather than fighting up against it. And I think this is such a great metaphor for how a lot of people, especially traumatized people with arrested development, like you say, your, your reaction to being traumatized also is likely to provoke further bullying. I mean, bullying doesn't stop in school. You know, there will yeah. always be dickheads right up until the age of 100, you know, and 
they they can't help but choose the person who is most likely to react in the way that they're looking for for validation or for whatever and so that's the that's yeah. the real trap isn't it is the reaction to trauma encourages further reactions that are going to be traumatic you know the word yeah. trigger and trauma have been kind of abused over the last few years by people who don't really have trauma and aren't really being triggered. It's kind of been used to describe being offended and stuff, and it's been, uh, uh, I think it's very unfair use of the word because those are very serious words. Can you help us understand a little bit what it means to be triggered with trauma? Well, I think, you know, what it means is when you experience something now that, you know, creates a reaction in you, you know, maybe you, you feel you, you get anxious, you know, or you just, you feel angry or something of that nature. And you don't understand, you know, why it's happening. You know, well, an example I can think of actually one that would happen. And to me was I experienced a lot of road rage. <laughs> mm. So I would find myself, you know, just I'd be driving and someone would cut me off and it would really just piss me off. And the thing was, you know, I came to realize later that it wasn't about that situation, really. It was about what had been done to me, you know, 10 years ago or whatever at that point. And just being upset that, you know, someone was doing something to me. Someone was trying to take advantage of me. And it was, it was triggering and it would invoke that feeling of rage inside of me because I felt, you know, like someone was, was trying to take advantage of me. And really, you know, this, this person who'd be cutting me off on the road didn't know me. It wasn't personal, but in my mind it was. And I would take it very personally and be very offended by it um, because there was just these unresolved issues from the past that I hadn't, that I hadn't dealt with yet. And they were coming up for me in a situation like that. So like that's, that's an example of, of being triggered by your past. Gosh, such a good example because there must be so many people that have wicked road rage and they're not actually quite sure why, you know? Yeah. Like, why does someone cutting you That's off a such a big deal? <laughs> well, it's been coming up in the Brojo community a lot lately, this concept of just unexplainable anger. There's just attack yeah. of rage that just seems to come out of nowhere from very small things, which, of course, are triggers. And I think that some of the guys who are, are confused about why this happens may not realize the connection with trauma. I, like, mm-hmm. my particular trigger was what I'd call unfairness. Even if I was watching a fictional movie where someone was picked on, I'd become enraged. I really didn't yeah. like when the odds were stacked against someone who was a good person. That kind of concept really just, it would just get to me so deep so quickly. Because it was me. I always saw myself as the person with the unfair treatment and so on. Um, Mm -hmm. But because I thought, I I bought the story that it's about now. It's about this situation. Without realizing, no, I'm projecting myself onto a situation that's actually pretty mild. Which, of course, like you say, that's, that's the revolving door. Now you feel like you're being targeted today. That this thing's never stopped. And so you've... You've never moved on from that moment in time because it's still happening now. You're stuck in that victim mentality. You know, you're always seeing things through that perspective that people are are trying to do something to you, trying to hurt you. So was that? I mean, was that what it was like for you? The idea that 
you felt like the targeting just never stopped like you were always the center of kind of more abuse than the average person or something like that i think so for a time yeah i uh, was was stuck in that victim mentality for a while and, and anytime i felt threatened anytime i felt like someone you know was doing something to hurt me or to take advantage of me i would get very upset and, and i dealt with anger issues for a long time and you know road rage was one of the ways in which it came out for me yeah i often think road rage is so common because there's a kind of a safety to it you can really lose your shit when you're in a car by yourself you know you can finally let it out and probably all those aggravations from the office and from your home life and everything can bubble out i remember i used to have what's called a puke so for guys with nice guy syndrome you know, eventually probably a few times a year you just explode with anger because it all finally comes out and i used to always get in the car you know just i'd probably burst into tears i'd be punching the steering wheel and the whole time i'm just like where's this coming from nothing's even happened sometimes i'm just driving by myself on an empty road and it would just pop you know mm-hmm. look it brings us to the obvious question both for you and and the other sort of thrivers, we'll say, the people who moved on from just being traumatized at the bottom of the waterfall to actually kind of moving past this constant triggering. You know, what is that transition? How does someone go from just constantly in trauma, triggered, reliving this thing, to breaking out of that victim mindset and, and moving to that next step? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not something that, you know, happens overnight. It's... Hmm. It's a process. I think it begins with just kind of making the decision, you know, to want to do things differently, to want to be better, and then figuring out, you know, what you need to do to make that happen. And, um, you know, for me, I mean, one of the biggest things was just talking about it because I kept it to myself for five years. It wasn't just the two years that it was happening. I waited a few more years beyond that to tell anyone. And so that was really huge for me just to finally just share it with someone and start talking about it and to start shedding the shame I had around it. And then, you know, from there, it's just, it's just working on yourself, working on the issues that are coming up for you, you know, being able to identify what they are, working on them so that they're no longer, you know, as big of an issue as they once were. They're no longer um, causing you to be triggered as much. Um, So they are able to then, you know, focus more on yourself and what you want your future to look like rather than, you know, just being focused on the past and what's happened to you. And for me, you know, a a big part of that was, you know, spending time in therapy and being able to talk about it there in a safe environment. Um, Because I know that that's a big reason why people don't talk about it, too, because they don't have a safe environment for it, um, or they don't feel like they have anyone that they can turn to that's going to be safe. So really important to feel like you have a safe environment where you're not going to be judged and you can speak about it and, and work through it and process it and um, and really just look at all the issues that are coming up for you. And and I did you know a lot of work on my own as well. I went actually you know studied psychology because I wanted to help myself. I wanted to better understand my mind and how everything works. Yeah, so really just. Just continuing to do the work on yourself, to look for for ways that you can improve and eventually, you know, make that shift from focusing on your past to focusing on your future. Well, there's a lot of gold in there. 
Um, it warms my heart for you to talk about how opening up directly relates to the reduction of shame. You know, my, my overall philosophy on, on shamelessness is the cure is simply honesty. You got to talk about what you don't want to talk about. That's how shame is reduced. It doesn't happen immediately, like you say. There's a couple of questions that come up. First off, how, how are you able to find the courage to make the initial move towards opening up? Or just the awareness to realize that you should? And and how do you go about finding a safe environment to do that? I, I remember, you know, specifically there was this one incident that happened one day. Uh, I was at work. And I reacted in a way that was, you know, I, I was acting as if, you know, I, I was being triggered. And... I was taking it out on a good friend of mine, and I saw how much I hurt them, and that really bothered me. And I realized, you know, this was because of what I had gone through, how I was, you know, lashing out now as a result, and, and not able to, to be able to control that. And now here I was in a situation where I hurt someone that I care about. I just said, you know, enough is enough. Um, I can't have this running my life this way anymore. And so I just decided in that moment that I needed to go and talk about it. I needed to get help. And I think I was fortunate that I knew someone who referred me to the therapist I ended up going to. So it was kind of a, it was easy in that way. Uh, it certainly wasn't easy for me to actually go. Um, you know, once I like made the call and set up the appointment, uh, it was still like terrifying for me to go, to go to the office and to actually have that, that first appointment. But, you know, eventually it just it kept going back and it got easier over time and they got, you know, more comfortable with the whole, you know, concept of, of being in therapy. Um, and, and that said, I think, you know, it's so important to find a therapist if that's if that's the route you're going to go down. Um, so important to find someone that you're comfortable with and that you can trust and that you feel, you know, safe with. Because uh, otherwise it's, it's not going to be worth your time. It's not going to work out. Um, and you're probably going to find yourself not being able to open up to them, which is going to defeat the purpose. Yeah, that's kind of how it happened for me. What I love about that is the responsibility factor. I think, you know, it's it's interesting if you go back to the original bullies, they are in that victim mindset too. This is being done to me, so I'm justified in doing it to someone else. Quite often that is the mindset. Mm -hmm. I've been lucky to, to dive deep into the mindset of the bullies hear it from their own lips you know the justifications they use for the harm that they do is all this kind of it's not really my fault I had to I'm allowed to because all these terrible things happen to me you know there was this critical moment where you saw that your behavior harmed someone else and you could have said well I'm this way because I was bullied so tough but instead you said you know what this is right yeah and I just think it's so great that you said, you know, actually, this is for me to sort out. And me harming someone else is no one else's choice but mine. I might not have wanted to do it, but it's done, and it was me that did it, so I need to figure out why that happened. You know, it was funny, when I did my psychology degree, I remember going into the class, and I just, as everyone talked, you know, and introduced themselves about why they're there and everything... I thought, fuck, we're all just here to sort ourselves out. Like, is there anybody in this class that wasn't fully mental, you know? And I realized <laughs> that was actually a huge part of this is the reason I was so controlled by my insecurities 
It's because I hadn't tried to understand them. I hadn't tried to understand how the human brain works and how I could engage in behavior that sabotaged my success, how I could engage in behavior that hurt myself and others, even though I didn't want to do it. Why I was too afraid to move. You know, what was actually going on inside me and what could be done about it. So I absolutely share that with you. One is first I had to decide that my behavior and my brain were up to me to deal with. No one was going to do it for me. And I had to be curious. I had to start again and assume that I don't actually know anything about why I do what I do. I have to figure it out. And I have to go to the expert sources. I have to learn. So that's that's huge because I think a lot of people might assume that just therapy alone will do it. But you've you've clearly identified no there's work you've got to do on your own to understand human behavior in general and understand your own specific variation of that how does that line up with other thrivers that you've seen what kind of things have they done or um to sort of move past it themselves yeah i mean there have been you know lots of uh tools the resources that my guests have talked about things that have helped them i mean therapy has definitely been one um, but, you know, other things, I mean, include you know, meditation and, and focusing on mindfulness, um, journaling, writing, um, sharing their stories um, has been helpful as well. Music has been really important for some people. It's actually been a, a big part of it for me as well. You know, being in community with others, having that support. There are a lot of great resources available now. And, and what I love, you know, is when my guests share all these things, you know, that those listening can just, you know, get ideas of things that they can try for themselves. Of course, not, you know, not everything is going to work for everyone. And that's fine. But it's about just knowing that these things are, are out there and making yourself aware of them and trying them on for a little bit and seeing what works and what doesn't. It's all about, it, you know, we all are on our own journey. We have to, to make it ours and, and figure out what works for us and, you know, what's going to, to help us. And um, those of us that have are a little further along in that journey, you know, we can share what's helped us and kind of be a, a, a guide and let people know that, you know, there's hope for things to get better. But, yeah, we have to, we have to take that responsibility to make that decision to want to, to do these things, to try these things, and then... And then go ahead and, and take that action and see what works and what doesn't. It's so important for people to hear what you're saying here because I see this with people when they first finally find the courage to say, go try a therapist. And the first therapist they get sucks. And they go, well, that's not worth it then. Not realizing, no, no, it's going to take a little bit more than that. This journey is not an overnight success story. It's not a quick fix, not a single pill. It's a mixture of things from different people. Try that, discard this, keep this, build, build, build until you've got your own system that works, and it will be different to what anybody else does. And just to you know, just to note that you know there are different kinds of therapies as well. Um, for me, it was talk therapy, but of course, there's just so many different types of therapies out there too. Absolutely, and, and different personalities respond to different ones. There's none good or bad. It's, I always say, like, it doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't work for you. The answer is yes, do it. The answer is no, find something else and try it. There's another thing we, we were we were talking a bit about it before we started the recording. And it's a very common thing for people with trauma and with a bullying background. And that is depression. And, of course, it's, it's 
sidekick anxiety. If you're if you're cool with sharing it, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your, especially your adult experience. Yeah, you know, for me actually, it's it's been more anxiety than depression. Okay. Um, but certainly, you know, back then um, I was definitely very depressed um, when I was just kind of dealing with it on my own and, and not sharing it with anyone yet. Um, it was very dark time and I you know I've had some some bouts of that off and on um, since then um, but for me the, the main thing has been anxiety that's how it showed up for me one of the the resources that I employed was actually going on medication for it I did that about 17 years ago tried out you know a few different ones finally got onto one that that worked for me uh, it was really helpful for me and kind of helped to uh, to get me back on track. I, you know, was telling you before we uh, started recording that um, I actually got off of my medication. It'll be a year this July, and that was uh, a two-year journey for me, actually getting off of it. And so that's been a, a really interesting experience in and of itself. Yeah, because you know we've got we're talking to an audience of people who experience both chronic anxiety and depression which, I mean, are just two sides of a coin in my experience. Most people have mm-hmm. one, will have bouts of the other. So a depressed person will have mm-hmm. bouts of anxiety, and an anxious person will have bouts of depression. I, I'm in the same category as you. I was an anxious person, chronically anxious, like not a day went by without it. And then when it just got too much, I'd crash into a few weeks of depression, just as like a holiday from the anxiety. Um, <laughs> now, I never went on medication, and, and one of the reasons for that was stigma. Well, I say I didn't go on medication, I took plenty of drugs, don't get me wrong. But I, I, the idea of going to a psychiatrist or a therapist and getting prescribed medication and then taking that, I had a lot of mental blocks to doing that, a lot of stigma around it. So let's start with that, your beginning, your journey with medication. Did you have any of those blocks yourself, or did you feel quite comfortable getting started? Um, you know, I think I felt pretty comfortable with it. Um, mm-hmm. I remember actually, like, going to my doctor and suggesting it. You know, I'd, like, I had seen a you know, infomercial on the TV, and I'm like, I think that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, that's, that's how it began. And um, it's interesting to just think about, like, I mean, kind of how easy it was to see it on it, how I was just kind of handed out, like, sure, here you go. Um, you know, and mm. I'm not a doctor, who am I to, to kind of like prescribe that to myself? So it's kind of disturbing when I think back on that now. But you know, for me, I just want to mention too that actually part of the reason that I got on it was because I was dealing with a lot of social anxiety. That was the big thing for me back then. It was really difficult for me to uh, to go out and be with friends or to be in any type of, of social situation um, just because of what I had gone through. It was a negative uh, association for me to really to be in groups of people like that. So that was that was the main reason that you know I felt like I needed something um, to help me with that. You know what, I think I'm observing maybe a cultural difference. So you are in the States, am I right? Yes. Now this is interesting, because I've got an audience uh, from all over the world, and some of them are from either certain parts of Europe like the UK and New Zealand, where the culture around medication is significantly different to the United States. Basically, in these cultures uh, not so sure about the UK exactly but especially in New Zealand there's a do it all by yourself mentality 
it would be a loss of face to need medication to deal with a problem. That yeah. kind of thing. Even to go to therapy, even to see a doctor about a physical problem. Um, you'll find, yeah. like, New Zealand men especially, we have, her- we have the highest suicide rates in the civilized world in New Zealand. And I believe this is directly attributed to this. People who need to get medication because they're too low or too stressed don't do it because they're told, no, you've got to figure this out on your own. So right now we're probably talking to a bunch of people who could really benefit from medication, but they haven't even considered it because it's so culturally like unacceptable. What are you? What's your feedback for someone who's wondering whether or not they should try medication? What was what was the impact it had on you? Well, I mean, it, it had you know a, a great impact on me. Um, I mean, it definitely um, it, it helped me to get the anxiety under control. Um, it helped me to to really to kind of just get my life back. That's how I kind of thought of it. And it allowed me to be able to function, you know, because I was uh, just kind of in a very dysfunctional state back then. And so, you know, it it allowed me to kind of just get past that hump and get to a point where, you know, I was stable enough to be able to do the work that I needed to do on myself uh, to make progress. And, you know, because I I mean, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't gone on it. I think it just it would have been really challenging for me. To, to do anything, uh, you know, I mean, I ended up, you know, becoming very independent. I moved out on my own to go to school. Um, I traveled to Europe by myself. And, you know, it just, that was just such a big change from, you know, how I had been before. And it really just, it helped to, to make things easier. But, you know, that's a decision that, you know, everyone has to make for themselves. And I think it's, it's one that you definitely should not, you know, take lightly. You definitely but thought into it as to whether it is the best course of action for you or not. Because, you know, for me, um, you know, it, it was very difficult um, to get off of the medication afterwards. That's not something that I was aware of when I started taking it. You know, the doctor did not tell me that this was going to be um, difficult to get off of if I ever wanted to do that. And I think, you know, it, at least here in the States, I mean, we kind of have this mentality of once you go on a medication, you're going to take it for life. So Mm -hmm. it's not really something that they talk about. I encourage everyone to just really to to take the decision very, very seriously because it's something that can certainly help. Um, And if you're in a very, you know, dark place and nothing else is helping you, then, you know, it might be what you need. I mean, certainly, you know, better to, to take medication than, um, to have something, you know, bad happen to you or, you know, to, to be suicidal, or let's say, and to be in such a dark place like that, you know, really consider if it's something that you truly need or not. And just to understand, um, you know, it, if this is something that you want to be on for the long term or it's more of a short term thing and, and how it's going to be when you want to try to get off of it. Well, maybe it's, uh, it's good that we hear a little bit about that. Because getting onto it's one thing. I think you made a couple of really mm-hmm. good points, especially the word functional. You know, if, if someone is self-medicating already and they can't function, they, they're not even in the right mind space to even make therapy work. Uh, they can't keep right. their life together. Maybe, um, in fact, quite probably, medication is a necessary transitional step 
to get them to the point where they can mm. actually become functional. And, and a lot of people don't realize that, that it isn't like oh, I'm giving up and going on medication because my brain's not good enough. It's like, no, you're too far down to be able to help yourself. You have to come up to a certain level before the help can begin. Uh, someone close to me is going through that at the moment with depression. Psychiatrist is very clear. She needs to be on the depre- uh, on the medication long enough for to even be able to handle going to therapy. And then through the therapy, the weaning off of medication can take place because she'll replace like a need for a chemical balance with better thinking or, or enhanced beliefs that will kind of do the chemical stuff for her. You know what I what I've come to realize as I as I got, got off the medication is that you know sometimes the medication can make things work for you so well that you become unaware that you still have issues to kind of deal with keeps them down and puts them on you know pushes them under the surface and that's fine you know for as long as you're on the medication but you know it's not until like you decide to come off of it that you realize you know okay there's things that I thought. I was past, you know, there's still kind of an issue for me. I still need to work on them because when you're on the medication, it's working for you and you're feeling good. You're not, you know, thinking that I still have this issue or I still have that issue. It's not, it's not an issue because your life is kind of, it's working for you. And so that's great. But, you know, in my case, I kind of had that, that rude awakening of, you know, Hey, I still have some things that I need to work on that I didn't realize because you only realize them when they are an issue. Well, this is really interesting because I guess what I'm hearing implied here is that when you, for whatever reason, decide to come off the medication, you then became aware that there were some secrets in the basement that were being withheld, (laughs) and yet you chose not to go back on the medication and instead to deal with these things. What led to that yes. decision? Why, why choose to, to let the darkness out when you could suppress it? <laughs> well, I think I was, I was done suppressing. You know, I mean, part of the reason that I chose to come off the medication in the first place is because I wanted uh, to feel again. I wanted to have like some emotions. I felt like I, I was pretty numb on the medication. It's kind of like watch out, you know, what you wish for, because I ended up feeling like way more than I uh, <laughs> expected. Um, and you know, after being on something for 15 years where I felt kind of numb, um, it's it's quite a shock to then be able to have all these feelings and emotions again, and and not being quite sure of you know what to do with them. But I also, you know, I wanted to. It was important for me to be healthy without medication. I wanted to be able to. Uh, to, to use other other tools um, to get there. And, and I felt like, you know, the medication served me and it got me to where I could, you know, I can now run the show. I can now take care of things on my own through other means without it. And, um, and that just, you know, became important to me um, in, in, in the lifestyle that I'm leading now. And also I just, I wanted to kind of be free of that. I felt like, you know, this is the medication is something that was kind of uh, controlling me in a way. And yes, it was helping me, but I knew like deep down, you know, it wasn't like the real me. I wanted to be me without that medication. Um, and that, and that's me, you know, and it's going to be different for everyone. And I'm certainly not saying that there's anything wrong with someone who wants to stay on it. That's, you know, that 
is up to them. But for me, that was what was important for me. And those are my whys. And those are, those are what really helped me to get through it. I'm totally on board with that. I went through my own thing myself. Like I said, I was never prescribed medication. But even up as recently as just a couple of years ago, I was smoking weed all the time. Even, you know, this is after I started becoming a coach and telling everybody else how to live their lives, you know. And it worked because I didn't have to deal with stress. You know, I just mm-hmm. smoked my stress away. But it was actually uh, my girlfriend who I'm still with now. Who, she had a bit of a problem with me using it all the time. She wanted me to be real with her, and when I was stoned, I wasn't quite real. And so when I stopped smoking, which wasn't a problem, I wasn't addicted, but the things that weren't being dealt with immediately came up. And I was uncomfortable <laughs> with knowing that they were there waiting. And so the longer I used, yeah. the more it was stored. So this problem was only going to get bigger the more I put it off. And unlike you, I can't really explain it, but I just wanted I wanted to deal with real me. I don't know why exactly I could have kept putting it off, probably forever, but I didn't want to. I wanted to... Yeah, you know, for me it was, yeah. For me it was as I just was doing more personal development work, it just became, it just, it felt natural that that was the next thing I wanted to work on. You know, like, it just didn't fit into what I was doing anymore. You know, it didn't feel, didn't feel right to me that, you know, I was doing all this personal development work, really kind of healing myself from the inside out. And, you know, here I was kind of still taking this medication to control all my feelings and all the things I didn't want to deal with. No, I think we're absolutely on board with that. And of course, you know, my whole philosophy is about honesty and integrity and, and you can't really claim that if you're putting most of yourself into that little mental basement and not letting it out and not dealing with it but absolutely understand the appeal in doing so because there's some really dark shit down there and it's really scary to let it out and somehow it's even more painful after a holiday from it with with drugs or you know a lot of people listening will say i'd never take medication but they binge drink every weekend they binge on sugar they use netflix and facebook to distract themselves from their emotions they're medicating they're just aren't getting it from a doctor and if they stop if they have to go to a retreat somewhere where none of those distractions are available their shit's going to come up mm-hmm. yeah there are many many ways of not dealing with our stuff right yep you don't need to go to a doctor for that but um yeah i think you and i are both of the same opinion which may not be right for everybody that ultimately mm-hmm. the real healing comes from dealing with everything whatever amount of time that takes, but bringing it all out, cleaning the basement out, so to speak, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some people, it's going to bring up some really, really painful shit. And that's just mm-hmm. part of it. A question I've got for you, we'll kind of start wrapping it up, I guess. And one of the questions I've got for you is, right now, what I'm hoping is the people listening to this, the one that's going to affect the most is the one who's right at that point, right before they take responsibility for this and follow through on those steps that we've talked about, right before they start opening up, seeing a therapist, taking the medication or whatever it is they need to do, exploring their psychology, saying, it's my job to deal with this. They're still in that victim mindset, but they're right on the fence. You go back to you when you were in that that stage, right before the transition, right before you had your crisis where you hurt your friend, that kind of push. 
what do we need to say to someone in that moment to push them? What are the, you know, what do we, what do they need to hear <laughs> to realize what the next step is? It's so hard, you I know, know right? it's, it's so hard because I don't know, I, part of me feels like it has to come from within, mm. you know, like people can say things to you. People can advise you to do things. Um, and I know that, you know, that's happened to me over the years, but it's like, until it just clicks in me for some reason, it's it's hard to, to take that action. And um, I can remember, like, when I was really struggling with forgiveness, I would always hear about how, you know, forgiveness is for you, it's not for them. And it wasn't until one day, you know, I was just, I was listening to a podcast episode and they were talking about it and it, it clicked for me at that point. And I was able to start working on, on my forgiveness issues then. But, you know, it's, it's just one of those things, I think, where it's like, until you're ready, until you're ready to hear what people are saying, you're not going to do anything about it. So I think it's important, you know, to, to keep for others, you know, for people who are supporting those who are struggling, um, to keep being supportive, to keep being there to listen and to keep, you know, encouraging them to keep, you know, letting them know that there are things they can do, let them know what their options are, things they can try, so that when they are ready, they can take that step and they'll know what it is. Yeah, I think you did right. I mean, you know, I asked that question knowing that they really, if we knew the answer to that, we'd solve every problem in the world. But, yeah, you know, I think what was critical for you is you had a crisis, and that was the same for me. Actually, I had a series of, of crises, mm. sort of, significant moments where I had a big awakening, a rude slap in the face of who I really was. And mm -hmm. nobody could have manufactured that. It just happened at the right time and was just undeniable evidence that my brain couldn't, you know, fight against. And the, you know, the rest of my life had to wait for that crisis to happen. You know, they talk about people hitting rock bottom and, and, rehab and stuff this kind of thing where it just finally gets bad enough that you go holy shit i've actually something's got to change here i can't keep this this is not going to stay the same it's not and mm -hmm. we can't we can't force that change in anyone but hopefully anyone yeah. listening can realize your that life that you want to happen it's waiting on you no one's going to come and bring anything to you uh, it's waiting for you to click um and Whatever you need to do to try and make that click happen, you know, you can't force it, but you can go out looking and something might just get through at the right time. Uh, if you sit around hoping something will come, it's just going to take a lot longer. And tragically, it might happen at such a late age that you don't even know what you're going to do about it. Um, Melissa, what's on the other side? When you look at who you are now compared to that, you know, triggered... Uh, frustrated person, victim mindset, whatever, you know, what's what's waiting for people if they're willing to go through the extensive journey of recovery? I think, you know, what's waiting is, is who you have the potential to be. For myself, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm more independent. I'm more, you know, I put myself out there more. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing today if I was, you know, still stuck in that place. And, you know, I just I get to to wake up every day and know that I'm in control of who I'm going to be that day. 
and the choices that I'm going to make and that I get to create the life that I want for myself. And, and it's, it's so great. And, you know, it's not to say that there aren't going to be any struggles, you know, that, you know, things from the past aren't going to, aren't going to still, you know, surface. Um, But it's being in a better position to be able to deal with that when that happens and having all these tools and resources that you've gathered from the work that you've done to be able to turn to and to not have those bad moments uh, affect you in the way that they once did or last as long as they once did. Yeah, really ultimately just to, to feel good about who you are again, you know, and to be happy with the life that you have and know that you are in charge of that now, not anyone else, not, you know, the people who bullied you or hurt you in whatever way. You are free now to be who you are, and that, that, that's an amazing thing. That's well, it's quite a sales pitch for the journey, isn't it? I'll would, I would take that up. You know what? <laughs> I had to write it down. I'm going, you know, I'm in control of who I'm going to be today. That's huge. I remember from my own experience when I was, you know, really stuck in my own little victim mindset, is that was so not the case. I didn't know who I was going to be today. It would all depend on everybody else. It would depend on my situations. I was so, I don't know what the word is, but it was a victim. I, I was going to be a product of what happened to me that day. And I knew that every day, and that's what filled me with so much anxiety, is because I don't know what's going to happen to me today, so I don't know who I'm going to be today. And that, what you just said, just resonated with me. That's a huge change in my own life as well. As I wake up and I know, look, no matter what happens today, I'm going to choose. You know, I won't always get the choice right, but it'll be mine. It'll be my choice and nobody else will be making it for me. And there's just, there's just so much, like you say, freedom in that. It's like I get to, I get to decide how today's going to go um, in terms of my own reaction. So that's massive. And, you know, anybody... Who'd be interested in talking to you further about this or looking into your work or maybe even working directly with you, what would the next step be for them? Um, yeah, they can just check out my website at thegrassgetsgreener.com. You can find you know more information on there of, of what I have to offer. Also, I mean, I know we've been talking a lot about you know tools and resources today to help people in the journey. Um, I do have a, a free download for people um, at thegrassgetsgreener.com forward slash guide, which is a I put together the top 10 most common strategies that my podcast guests have used mm. um, that have helped them in their healing journey. So if anyone is interested in checking that out, um, they can find that there. And yeah, that's really just the best way. Um, there's also you know contact form on the website as well if they want to reach out and say hi or if there's anything I can do to help support them. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, yeah, that sounds great. If nothing else, everyone listening should go get a copy of that guide. Um, there's got to be some good stuff in there. It's coming directly from the people who had to do the real work. Look, Melissa, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the call. You shared some really personal stuff with us. Uh, you're very truthful and honest. And I guess the word's inspiring, even though that word's thrashed a bit too much these days. But, you know, you've shown us that, like, like I always like to say, there's this real work that can be done. It's not some quick fix thing, but there is hope. There is this effort you can put in and it slowly accumulates over time and it's worth doing. And and I love to meet the living uh, manifestations of that 
mindsets, you know, people who actually put in the work. And it's incredible because like you, like obviously you've experienced and expressed today, while you got a lot of support from other people and stuff, it was really your journey. It was just you backing you. And I personally think that's where confidence comes from in terms of shamelessness. It's ultimately you backing yourself through this journey. It's building relationship with yourself. And that's the actual end product of that journey is you've got your own back. You've been backing yourself for a long time through a lot of hard shit. And now, you know, you don't need other people and their approval and everything. You can, of course, gain support and build friendships. But you've worked with you for so long now. You've been your main supporter. I love that. (laughs) But yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on the show in the future for a follow-up. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, thank you, Dan. I mean, it's been an uh, honor and a pleasure for me, and I hope that it's been helpful to, to your listeners. I have no doubt about that. All right, everybody, let's thank Melissa, and we will catch you all next time. Cheers. Cheers.